I greet you in the high and holy name of Jesus Christ, our crucified and risen Lord. The focus of my message today is the Holy Spirit. The aim and purpose of the message is to help us open our hearts in a greater way to the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. We have two scripture lessons about the Holy Spirit. The first is from John's Gospel, chapter 16, and the second is from the first chapter of Acts. The first of those from John 16 is part of Jesus' farewell discourse to the disciples before his crucifixion. And uh, I will begin reading with verse 5 of John 16. And if you're able, I invite you to stand for the reading of God's holy and inerrant word. Jesus said, But now I am going to him who sent me. None of you ask me, where are you going? Rather, you are filled with grief because I have said these things. But very truly, I tell you, it's for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate, the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. About sin, because people do not believe in me. About righteousness, because I'm going to the Father where you can see me no longer. And about judgment, because the prince of this world, Satan, now stands condemned. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the father is mine. That's why I said the spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. And then from the book of Acts, chapter 1, now we hear from Jesus on the other side of the resurrection, the risen Christ, speaking to the disciples. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power. When the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Please be seated and let us pray. Take my lips and speak through them. Take our thoughts and think through them. Take our hearts and set them on fire with love for you. Unless you speak, nothing of significance will be spoken. Give us your word, Lord Jesus. Amen. One day a pastor in Richmond, Indiana 
went to his favorite coffee shop for a mid-morning break. And as he was sitting there, in walked two big, burly men in their work uniforms. And the name of their company was printed on the back of their shirts. And the company was Transmissions Unlimited. And uh, the pastor sat there sipping his coffee, thinking about that company. The only thing he knew about an automobile transmission was that it had no power of its own. It just transmitted the power of the engine to the task of rolling the wheels down the road. And then a light came on in his brain, probably from the Holy Spirit. And he thought, you know what? That's what a church is supposed to be. Transmissions unlimited. Because we Christians don't have much power of our own. Our task is to transmit the power of the Holy Spirit to the task of building the kingdom of God. And because the Holy Spirit is unlimited, we are transmissions unlimited. And he thought to himself, now, you know, I doubt that I can persuade the board of deacons to change the name of our church, but the name sure does fit. Transmissions unlimited. Herb Miller has written this, what fuel is to a car, the Holy Spirit is to the believer. He is our spiritual fuel. And the Holy Spirit was showered upon the infant church just 50 days after Jesus was crucified and resurrected. Uh, on the day of Pentecost, there were about 120. That was the total size of the church. 120 in a room in Jerusalem. They were meeting behind closed doors because they were afraid. Afraid of the Jews. And then came Pentecost. That electrifying, life-transforming experience that they would talk about for the rest of their lives. Suddenly, the house in which they were meeting was filled with just a huge sound of wind, uh, like a tornado. And suddenly, they experienced a power they had never known before. And in the Greek in which the New Testament is written, the word for wind and Spirit is the same, pneuma, pneuma. The mighty wind of the Spirit just blew away all their fear and timidity. They seemed to inhale boldness and confidence. Suddenly this aggregate of misfits was transformed into a trained, cadre, disciplined stormtroopers, spiritual stormtroopers for Jesus Christ. Uh, thanks to the Holy Spirit, the wimps became warriors. The Holy Spirit is a person. Never refer to the Holy Spirit as it. Never. Holy Spirit is a person. We use the masculine pronoun he, uh, not because God is certainly has no gender. God is neither male nor female. We use the personal pronoun because God is personal. And if you change and refer to God as it, it depersonalizes God. God, if, the, the first thing you can say about God is he is intensely personal. When a person trusts in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, the Holy Spirit takes up residence in that person's heart and mind. The Holy Spirit wants to be the dominant power in every believer. 
And my purpose today is help us open our hearts in a greater way to the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. There's an item in my car that reminds me of the Holy Spirit. It's my GPS, my global positioning system. By utilizing 28 satellites in orbit, my GPS can tell me exactly where I'm located if I am in my car and I turn it on. And if I enter a legitimate address, my GPS can give me directions about how to get there. And you know what's amazing to me? Even if 10,000 other people are tuning in to their GPS, I never get a busy signal when I turn on mine. Never. Now, as wonderful as my GPS is, God has a much greater version. God has a spiritual GPS called the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit not only knows where I am, the Holy Spirit knows where I ought to be and will help me get there. And when I go on the wrong track occasionally, the Holy Spirit has a, my GPS, my spiritual GPS has a wonderful way of saying, at your first opportunity, make a safe, legal U-turn. And that is a call to repentance. Our two scripture lessons today teach us about the Holy Spirit. I want to set the scene for the first one, John 16. Jesus and his disciples are in an upstairs room, large room in Jerusalem. Jesus is delivering his farewell address. Later that same night, he'll be arrested. The next day, he'll die on a cross for our sins. And the disciples are terribly sad because Jesus has told them he's going to be leaving them. And then in verse 7, Jesus says, It is for your own good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the counselor, who is the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. You see, when Jesus was physically here on earth, he, could, he was limited by space and time. He could be in only one place at a time. Uh, but the Holy Spirit whom Jesus would send would be under no such restraint. So when Jesus said, I'll be with you always, it was because of the Holy Spirit that he could say that. Because the Holy Spirit can be in a million places at any given particular time and place. In our scripture lessons for the morning, Jesus gives us three vital truths about the Holy Spirit. The first is this. The Holy Spirit convicts the world of guilt. The Holy Spirit convicts the world of guilt. Verse 8 tells us that when the Holy Spirit comes, he'll convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. The Holy Spirit convinces people of the fact of sin, the fault of sin, the folly of sin, and the filth of sin. The Holy Spirit is the one who makes us restless and discontented when we're separated from our Lord. The great St. Augustine said it this way, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it rests in you. The Holy Spirit convicts the world of guilt. You could even refer to the Holy Spirit as God's district attorney. He brings charges against sin wherever he finds it. Now, many of America's cultural leaders today, 
not only on Wall Street, but on Main Street, believe that making money should be one's top priority in America's free enterprise system. Uh, they think that the symbol of success is the dollar sign. And therefore, the top winners in America, they used to be millionaires. No, no, no. They're billionaires today. But God's district attorney, the Holy Spirit, says, wait a minute. The very first of the Ten Commandments says, you shall have no other gods before me. And what is a god? A god is whatever comes first in your life. And you cannot be equally devoted to God and money, the Bible says. God will not agree to be co-champion in your tournament of favorites. Either God comes first or he can have no significant place in your life at all. Jesus said it's very difficult for a rich person to be saved. And most of us, by the world's standards, are rich. That does not mean that money is evil. Money is morally neutral. The Bible does say the love of money is the root of all evil. And there's no doubt about it that the love of money is the most popular false god in America. Anytime a person loves money more than Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit indicts that person. God's district attorney inspects all areas of our culture and brings indictments wherever he finds sin. Today, America has an unhealthy obsession with race. Just when many of us thought that the racist nightmare of slavery and Jim Crow had been repented for and we had entered the bright sunshine of equality and reconciliation. There are some cultural leaders in America today who want to introduce a new racism. And though it wears a modern disguise, it looks a lot like the old racism because it claims that one race is better than the other and one race is inferior to the other. Uh, believe it or not, this new racism wants to resegregate us by race. They even want to teach our school children to evaluate each other on the basis of their skin color rather than on the content of their character. Leaders of the new racism want us to believe that the single most important thing about us is our skin color. But God's district attorney says, wait a minute. The single most important thing about you is not your skin color. It's your relationship with Jesus Christ. And favoring one race above another is a sin. And it doesn't matter which race it is because it fractures God's family. The Holy Spirit challenges us to love inclusively as God loves. And the Holy Spirit reminds us of a song that we learned as little children. Red and yellow, black and white, all are precious in his sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world. The Holy Spirit indicts racism in every form and in every place. There's an old rural saying that goes like this. You can't get the water cleared up till you get the hogs out of the creek. Neither can we make any real progress toward holiness until we allow the Holy Spirit to convict and to cleanse us of sin. 
Here comes the second truth about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit guides us into all truth. In fact, the Holy Spirit is called the Spirit of Truth. Jesus said, but when he, the Spirit of Truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. Now, since Jesus is the truth, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Since Jesus is the truth, the Holy Spirit wants to guide us into more and more of Christ, of course. Jesus said, he, the Holy Spirit, will bring glory to me by taking what is mine and making it known to you. Sometimes when I'm out for my regular morning walk, the, the Holy Spirit almost slaps me upside the head with a message. I, I think the Holy Spirit knows that I'm not a genius. And so the Holy Spirit, I think, says to himself, you know, we better not be too subtle with old brother Bill. He might miss the message. So the Lord makes it abundantly clear. And on numerous occasions out on my morning walk, I have felt just a strong nudge to make a particular phone call, to read a particular book, to attend a certain meeting, uh, to have lunch with a certain person. And sometimes, immediately, I see God's reason for that prompting right away. But other times, it could be months go by. Maybe three months later, I realized that some insight, some, something I learned from that previous contact was now useful in some mission God has given to me. Looking back, I can see it. And I don't believe for a minute it was a coincidence. This was the Holy Spirit guiding me into certain avenues of truth. Now, there's only one book that truly re represents absolute truth. It's this book right here, the Holy Bible. And this book is saturated with the Holy Spirit. Let me ask you this. Have you ever noticed that the major media that you can't avoid if you have a television in your home, none of our major media is in total harmony with this book? You notice that? There's a disconnect between each one of them and biblical standards. And it doesn't matter whether the media is CNN or The View or Fox News or New York Times or Wall Street Journal or the state newspaper or social media. The Holy Spirit shows us the disconnect and calls us to biblical truth. And folks, when anybody on television claims to be speaking the truth, be sure to check to see if their version of the truth agrees with biblical truth. God's word and the Holy Spirit are sure guides into truth. And here's the, truth, the third truth about the Holy Spirit I want to present to our hearts. The Holy Spirit supplies what we need. There are numerous words in the Greek New Testament for the Holy Spirit. One of them I love is parakletos. And it literally means battle partner. And it comes from a military context because in the, in the ancient Greek army, every soldier had a partner. Every soldier went in, they went in as twosomes. And so you had a partner who would help you up if you fell down and would watch your backside. I like to think about the Holy Spirit as my parakletos, that the Holy Spirit has my back. And there are other titles, functions of the Holy Spirit we're told about in the Bible. He is our counselor, our comforter, our helper, 
our advocate. He understands our needs better than we do and meets those needs in wise and in gracious ways. He equips us to be on duty for Jesus Christ. The very first need we have is the assurance that we're saved and that we have been adopted as children of God. We are saved the moment when we repent of our sin and trust in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. But how can we be sure that we are saved and adopted as children of God? Well, the Holy Spirit provides that assurance. St. Paul wrote this, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. There's a connection between our spirit and God's spirit that brings a deep assurance to our hearts. Yes, we have been adopted into God's family. According to the book of Acts, Jesus' last words before he ascended were about the Holy Spirit. He told the disciples, stay in Jerusalem. Don't go anywhere until the Holy Spirit is given to you. And then Jesus said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You will be my witnesses. Jesus was saying to that bunch, listen, unless a Christian is filled with the Holy Spirit, he or she is a puny disciple. Sort of like a preacher without a Bible, if you can imagine. Indeed, without the anointing of the Holy Spirit, a preacher is as useless as a light bulb without electricity. Oh, but if he or she is anointed by the Holy Spirit, that light bulb can illuminate the world. Yes. Now, I cannot talk about the Holy Spirit without sharing a personal testimony. And I shared this with you some four or five years ago, but it's the single most important lesson God has taught me in 50 years. And so I can't talk about the Holy Spirit without sharing it again with you. Yes, when I was in seminary, I learned about the Trinity. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. God, one God in three persons. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. I prayed to God the Father. I was saved by Jesus Christ the Son. But I had no personal relationship with the Holy Spirit. At the age of 25, fresh out of seminary, I was uh, assigned to my first pastoral charge, two small churches on the north side of Columbia. And I was full of zeal, vim and vigor. I was full of self-confidence. I was overconfident. I didn't think I had any limitations. Just give me enough time. I can do anything. And uh, I didn't know how to delegate. I tried to do everybody's church work for them, which was not good for the church. My philosophy was, if you got a challenge, just get up earlier and work later. Go at it. And I had two churches, tried to be full-time at both, and I was newly married. I was obsessive-compulsive to the core. I did not believe in taking vacations, and if my wife insisted on a brief one, I tried to plan every hour. Almost drove her up the wall. Thank God he gave her the patience to stick with me. For example, I recall back in that time, uh, we had one of those rare snowfalls in the Columbia area. Six, about six inches of snow fell. And I was delighted, but not for normal reasons, so you can get out and play. No. I was delighted because I knew most of my families would have to be at home, and it would be a great day for visitation. 
I think I made 26 house calls on that single day. Now, you've got to be a card-carrying obsessive compulsive to do that. And then for the first time, I began to bump into my limitations, things I had never experienced before. I began to have insomnia, trouble sleeping. I began to have uh, periods of anxiety, anxiety attacks. I developed chronic indigestion. So I went to my family doctor, dear old Dr. John Holler. I said, Dr. John, I'm pretty sure I've got a stomach ulcer and I need you to fix it this week. I'm busy. I don't have time to fool with this. So this week. Dr. John put me through some medical tests and brought me back in later and he said, son, you don't have an ulcer. Uh, tell me about your work schedule. And I thought that was a waste of time, but I whipped out my little black minister's calendar book and I walked him through about three weeks of that obsessive compulsive scheduling. And he said, uh, son, uh, you're burning the candle at both ends and your body and mind are complaining. And then he said something that hurt my feelings. He said, you need to find a source bigger than you are. That chapped my cheeks. I said, the nerve of this guy to <laughs> preach to a preacher. And, and uh, so I left his office that day in, in a huff. But on my way home, I just knew I had heard something of the truth there. Long about that time, the bishop in his wisdom moved us from Columbia to uh, St. Luke United Methodist Church in Hartsville, South Carolina. And I wasn't there long before I met some young adults in the church there who were on intimate terms with the Holy Spirit. But what threw me a curve was they were not weird. You see, in my ignorance, I had assumed that if you're on intimate terms with the Holy Spirit, you would sort of be out of control, a holy roller. You would shout out things at inappropriate times. Who knows, you might even speak in an unknown tongue in the middle of the worship service, you know. And these people were not that at all. Uh, they were uh, among the most responsible, well-balanced, positive, creative, loving people I had in the church. And my wife and I got to know them well because we were in a Sunday night Bible study group with them. And we got to know each other and love each other. And from time to time, when they had a chance to meet with me privately, they would say very gently, very lovingly, Brother Bill, you and I have been called to a task by the Lord Jesus that's bigger than we are. None of us has the gifts and graces and power to do what the Lord needs from us, but there is a source available, an inexhaustible source called the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit is a gentleman. He has to be invited. And then they shared with me two Bible verses that I want to plant in your heart. One is Ephesians 5.18. It's a command from St. Paul. Be filled with the Spirit. And I knew enough Greek in which that was written to know that that verb, be filled is in the present imperative sense, tense, which means 
It does not refer to a one-time filling. It refers to a continual filling. So really, the command could be translated, be continually filled with the Spirit. Command from St. Paul. The other verse they taught me is Luke eleven thirteen, 13, where Jesus said, If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? Wow, my eyes were open. There we got a promise from the Lord Jesus. If you ask, the Holy Spirit will be given. Well, right there in Hartsville, I made a new covenant with the Lord. I said, Lord, we're going to do things differently. I said, from now on, in order to curb my workaholic tendencies, I'm not going to work over 55 hours a week for the church. And I'm going to be home at least three evenings a week. Furthermore, I'm going to start taking better care of my body. I'm going to exercise. But I said, Lord, here's the big one. Every day of my life, I'm going to say to you, I'm going to ask for the next 24 hours, fill me to overflowing with your Holy Spirit so that I can fulfill the mission you have for me today. And I said, Lord, if you don't come through, I'm going to be a first-class flop. Now, that was over 50 years ago. Slowly but surely, my ministry was revolutionized, transformed. Instead of coming to the end of a typical day feeling depleted, worn out, run over, I began to come to the end of a day feeling revived. Deeply satisfied and joyful even. And if anything of real merit, of lasting value, has happened in my ministry in the last 50 years, the credit belongs to the Holy Spirit. Now let me review the three truths that I've declared to you about the Holy Spirit. First, the Holy Spirit convicts the world of guilt. Secondly, the Holy Spirit guides us into all truth. And third, the Holy Spirit supplies what we need. One of the great evangelists of American history was a man named Dwight L. Moody. He was sort of a precursor to Billy Graham. He, like Billy Graham, he held crusades all over the country. And in one particular city, there was a group of ministers who were considering holding a crusade, and inviting Dwight L. Moody. So they met to discuss this. There was one rather skeptical pastor there who stood up and said, wait a minute, why must we invite Dwight L. Moody? I mean, does Dwight L. Moody have a monopoly on the Holy Spirit? There were a few moments of silence, and then some more discerning pastor stood up, and he said, uh, no. Dwight L. Moody does not have a monopoly on the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit has a monopoly on Dwight L. Moody. And the Holy Spirit wants to have a monopoly on you and me. And all we have to do is ask. 
And so I'm challenging you to include this request as part of your daily prayer. Lord, for the next 24 hours, fill me to overflowing with your Holy Spirit that I may fulfill the mission you have for me today. If you do that, God has promised through Jesus he'll answer it. He will send the Holy Spirit and it will revolutionize your life. Brothers and sisters, we can indeed be transmissions unlimited. And to God be the glory. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, you have promised to fill us with your spirit if we ask. We are asking, and we intend to keep asking, one day at a time, that your will might be done and your kingdom come to er in earth as it is in heaven, and to you be the glory. Amen.